0: Of the Lord. Be to God. Loving Garby, thank you that your word is a living word that continues to speak to us today. Through your spirit, help us to, uh, to discern your word to us, both personally and as a church community. May we hear and respond in ways which honor you. In Jesus' name. Amen The plan this morning is for a shorter sermon. Uh, we have a very full service, but even more to the point, I want to have my pastor's hat on more than my teacher's hat. Uh, some of my sermons have a bit more teaching than others, and there's a little bit in it uh, this morning, but I want us to more to reflect on just how Matthew's story His encounter with Jesus, that was life changing, uh, speaks to us. How that story becomes one of many who have chosen to respond and to follow Christ. And the focus is going to be on Matthew's story as one of a God who provides second chances. Now, first of all, the background, and uh, I'm sure you're reasonably familiar with this, but St. Matthew's, uh, t- traditionally for St. Matthew, the symbol is three money bags. If you want to know what that looks like, you can go and all peer at Grant Chapman's tie that he's wearing today, because he's wearing the official St. Matthew's Kensington tie, which has the three money bags. I do have one at home, but it wasn't appropriate for me to wear it over my collar, <laughs> Um, and whilst that is true, it is a symbol of uh, St. Matthew who was a tax collector and who encountered Jesus. The tax collectors in uh, Jesus' day, in Roman times, were people to be avoided, not because of its tax time and all that side of things, but because they were collaborators with the Romans who were viewed as foreign invaders who had martial rule over the land And as part of that rule, they imposed a tax on the people of Judea and up to um, Galilee and the wider regions. And they would then contract that work of gathering the tax of uh, the various levies and tolls through tax collectors who would sit in various locations and uh, to make sure that they were able to... uh, Uh, fund themselves would add an extra impost on a tax notoriously significant extra tax that what they would carve off and keep to themselves so not only were they collaborators they were also cheats and were coming at the cost so they were people who were shunned in the wider community we do know that uh, Matthew would be educated to be able to uh, conduct that business to the satisfaction of the Romans, you'd need to be able to uh, be an administrator and to be uh, literate and to be able to document the various tasks that he has. So we have a picture of a, uh, uh, a tax collector from that period of a time. But a tax collector within the Jewish context was in particularly, uh, especially despised because some of the taxes being raised for the Romans were taxes that would otherwise have gone to various religious observances, the temple and other types of uh, practices. So it was a a politically charged and highly controversial um, occupation to have and Matthew seemed to have been doing singly well at it. The problem is, is that it meant he was socially isolated to the extent that uh, the wider community would keep tax collectors and other known sinners, people whose uh, manner of life was not one which was uh, agreeable to the, those who had a strong sense of living rightly, um, they were held at a distance. And I'll come back to that in a minute. But for now, here we have Matthew who has embarked on this pattern of life this vocation is doing well and is wealthy until he encounters jesus now we're given minimal information in the gospels Um, it may be the same person as levi there's a very similar story of another tax collector called levi that's recorded in mark and luke Maybe the same person by another name we don't know that for sure but we do know he lives in capernaum in galilee which is north of judea And uh, that in that culture, in that town, everyone had a reputation. Tax collectors and those whose lives were messy. Those whose lives through choice, by whatever reason, were not conducting themselves within the expectations of the faith community, which is the whole community of Capernaum. Now, we don't know the backstory for Matthew, whether he had heard Jesus' teaching when he encountered. But at this moment, when he was called to to rise and to stand and literally to turn away from this pattern of life, he chose to do so. So it is a great example of someone, as our colleague says, who chose to set aside from self-interest and from greed into a whole new approach to his life. It's helpful to see, I think, um, St. Matthew not to be the patron saint of tax collectors, even reformed or repentant tax collectors or that side of things. In my mind, I actually see St. Matthew as the patron saint of second chances. Jesus gave him a wonderful second chance in a way in which the wider community was not willing to do so. So let's see how Jesus' story intersects with Matthew's story. Jesus, who announces the kingdom of God, who has that summons, that call to repent and to uh, return into God and to come to the kingdom of God. To repent is to change direction, to change the way we view things. And so Matthew becomes one of many who, who does so. You might recall from our readings last week, from Luke 15, the parable of the, we did the two, first two of the three uh, lost parables, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and it's followed by the lost son. There, of course, it's two sons in that particular parable. And I reminded us last week that the first two verses of Luke 15 set the scene where Jesus has been at a party where he's been the guest of tax collectors and sinners. And the Pharisees and the scribes watching on look at that with horror and with dread. How could this man do these things? How can he be a religious person, yet being associated with those that we believe we should keep a distance from? I didn't mention last week, but one of those, scri- one of those tax collectors is our patron, He's one of those notorious sinners that Jesus was associating with, and the Pharisees and the scribes were doing more than raising an eyebrow. But let me explain where the Pharisees were coming from. The Pharisees, as a movement, arose after the exile. Now, if you know the Old Testament story, there's two massive events that start with E that change everything. The first, E, is the exodus coming out of Egypt towards the promised land and the second great e is the exile where after centuries of warnings from the prophets and uh, saying that if you fail to read the word of god if you continue to be disobedient and to be rebellious god will bring judgment upon you because the covenant says that you must obey keep in the way of the lord and if you ignore that disregard it then judgment will be brought upon you and so it happened the northern kingdom of Israel under the Assyrians and then the Southern kingdom of Judea were taken defeated by the Babylonians and had that period of seventy years of sitting by the waters of Babylon where they sat down and they wept when they eventually returned as it was uh, we see reflected in um, isaiah comfort comfort my people israel the time has come to return we see it in the stories of ezra and nehemiah and they regather and begin to rebuild jerusalem they ask themselves a good and important question how can we ensure this never happens again we must read the word of god we must study the law We must take it seriously and remind everyone in our community to do so. Otherwise, judgment will come back on us. So the Pharisees had this passion that the exile must never happen again. We must read the law. We must study it and interpret it and take it seriously. And we all must do it. Otherwise, the judgment will come upon all of us. So the Pharisees did that assiduously. They were devoted to that task and by the way many of the pharisees were the first followers of jesus in the the decades that were to follow so it's good to have some sympathy for the pharisees now were some of them self-righteous were some of them pretense and uh, hypocritical in that space yes many were and jesus denounced them elsewhere so don't hear me as being encouraging a new pharisaic movement in the life of our church but the motivation is good. So much so that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you'll not see the kingdom of God. So you don't see Jesus saying that was all, you know, the law, everything else, forget all about it. However, the way in which they sought to do it, they counted the laws in the Old Testament. Do you know how many laws are in the Old Testament? Quick, check. Didn't think you would do. I never know, 613, 613 laws in the Old Testament. Once they got the 613 laws sorted, they said, well, how do we make sure we keep them? So they defined a series, what they called a fence around each of the laws, a fence of interpretation. And if you keep inside that fence of interpretation, you may be confident you keep the law. But if you go outside that fence of interpretation, then you'll be a sinner. And if you're a sinner in our community, we'll have to keep you at a distance. We'll have to disassociate from you. Otherwise, judgment will come upon all of us. Jesus did two things in particular. First of all, he says you can't put offensive of interpretation around how you love your neighbor. You can't define that. You can't put these fences. That's the traditions of men, Jesus said. That's, you've, you've lost the point when you try to define it in that way. So Jesus had no time for their minute definitions that they came up with interpretations. But secondly, Jesus says, it's wrong to be excluding people if they have failed in that space. Because you know we're all in that space. Well, Jesus wasn't, but everyone else were. um, Less than fully righteous. So where the Pharisees were so fearful that they held people like the tax collectors and the sinners at a distance, Jesus said, No, these are the very people I've come to bring into the kingdom, to show the offer of mercy and grace of a second chance. So Jesus entering into the homes and having the meal at Matthew's table and entering into the hospitality. And that was a big thing in that world, to have a meal with someone was to associate, to say, look, um, we are one in terms of our our friendship, our fellowship. Jesus did not fear contamination (laughs) from those who were less than perfect around him. He was confident in God's ability to transform those lives, to offer them a second chance, and to see redemption do its work. So how do we hear this brief but powerful passage of Matthew? First of all, we might identify ourselves with Matthew. We might know that there are parts of our lives, some choices we've made, there's spaces that we've been in where we have messed things up. We've made choices, we've followed our own desires, we've entered into things out of self-interest, And we've known it hasn't sat well. And we think, what have I done? And there's no hiding of that from God. So we may identify with Matthew and see that lifeline of a second chance of God saying, I know it. But if you are repentant, I know you're sorry. I know that you will seek to to change direction. Welcome. And let's work on it together. We may also view it through the eyes of a church. The Pharisees were those who were regarded as the most righteous. Jesus already had said so in Matthew. We are living in a world now, in the 21st century, certainly in the Western world, where our wider society, our wider community, has made choices and decisions and have practices that are not one and the same of what we would be wanting to uphold within the church. Much of it is driven by greed and capitalism and the desire to gain as many possessions and not to ask questions about why the items that we have so cheaply in our store, where have they come from? Others are more a sense of, I'm going to control my life, I'm going to set my own goals, I'll live it my way. How do we exist in that world? The danger would be for us as a church to pull back and put up boundaries and say at least within our church we are being respectable people, we are being, seeking to do the right thing. That would be a catastrophic missional mistake. I fear that out of the response of the change that's happening in the wider community, a growth of judgmentalism, a fear of association and spiritual contamination that puts in a massive gap between the church and our wider community. I fear it happening within our churches as we impose our own little fields of definition of interpretation and impose it on others and not give freedom of space for people to work through their own issues. St Matthew The patron saint of second chances tells us that we are to be a welcoming church. Whatever your story, whatever your circumstances, whatever the background and the issues and the challenges and perhaps the addictions and the other messiness that you're dealing with, whatever it may be, we want to be a church that welcomes. We want to be a church that points people to Jesus and saying, Jesus will help us to find the next step and the step after that and we're going to be there for you in fact we'll be there for each other that is our effect on our history has been what St Matthew's has done over those years that is true to our DNA for those who've gone before us we have received such a generous spirit of people who have been so community focused not just for ourselves but in a way of giving and contributing to the wider community Let me push the pastor's voice a bit stronger. I actually planned this sermon eight months ago, believe it or not. And it's exceeded my hope. I'm more confident in giving it now than I was giving eight months ago. We have been through a difficult time at St Matthews. Relationships have been bruised. Things have been said. Things have got dreadfully messy. I want to urge everyone, whether you are part of that story or in your own lives, whatever it may may be, think of someone that you need to give a second chance to. Think of someone that you can release from that grievance and perhaps even that bitterness and let it go. And I'm urging St Matthew's as a church community as we enter the springtime, we've been through the spring, through the winter, let us move on by releasing some of those tensions because otherwise it'll choke us. So, when Jesus entered into the life of Matthew, he made a profound change and he drew Matthew into a company, into a community of disciples who followed. The mission that Matthew was given is a mission that the church has given, that we're all given. Go and learn what this means, Jesus said. I want mercy, not sacrifice. I didn't come to call religious the righteous people. That's those who have, who have held fast to the promises of God, who know the love and grace of God. But for the lost sheep, for the lost coin, for those who are out there and need to return, Jesus took delight in being in the company of Matthew and his friends. Let that be our driving story that we have to proclaim. Amen.